Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have an update on Activision Blizzard and its pending acquisition by tech titan Microsoft. If you want more of the background on this particular transaction, please do check out our playlist, Microsoft Times Activision. This will be almost the 20th video in this playlist, so you know we've got a lot to talk about there. Today, we see Activision Blizzard, as it has so often been doing in the past 9 to 12 months, trying to avoid continued litigation. How are they doing that? Well, as Stephen Totillo of Axios flagged earlier this morning, he says on Friday, Activision added a line to its main filing about the planned sale to Microsoft, stressing that Microsoft and Bobby Kotick haven't discussed nor negotiated his post-merger employment status. Hmm he says. And if we look at this particular item that he has flagged, he is flagging the last line that was added to the background of the merger on page 42 of the proxy statement, which says, no discussions or negotiations regarding post-closing employment arrangements with Microsoft occurred between Microsoft and Mr. Kotick prior to the approval and execution of the merger agreement and the transactions contemplated thereby, or have occurred subsequent to such approval and execution through the date here of. Now, in a vacuum, that line doesn't actually add really anything of significance to this particular paragraph. But as Mr. Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision, has been at the center of a lot of controversy at the company and has been one of those individuals that has been discussed ad nauseum by various journalistic outlets, Stephen Totillo flagged this as pointing out, I think properly, that both Microsoft and Activision are stressing that these conversations didn't occur. Now, as it turns out, this was actually a part of a bigger document that Activision filed today. And that was, as he says, an update to their existing statements. But it's very important to understand why they updated these statements. And we're going to talk about not just that addition, which I flagged for this thumbnail as no promises, but also what it is that they are trying to achieve by making an update at all, which they are very, very clear about in this Form 8K that they filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So they start out with other events. Hey, we agreed to a merger on January 18th. Then they highlight that they're in litigation. They say this litigation asserts violations of sections 14A and 20A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 as amended and allege that the preliminary proxy statement filed in connection with the merger omitted certain purportedly material information, which rendered the preliminary proxy statement incomplete and misleading. The complaints named the company and its directors as defendants. So if you recall, or if you don't recall because you haven't checked out the playlist yet, we did a video talking about this particular shareholder suit. Now, there are actually a number of these that wound up getting filed against Activision, but most have the same premise. And that is that when they put together the information about this merger, it was incomplete in some way. More specifically, this lawsuit says, as detailed below, the preliminary proxy statement omits and or misrepresents material information concerning, among other things, A, the sales process, and in particular, certain conflicts of interest for management. B, the financial projections for Activision provided by the company to the company's financial advisor, Allen & Company. And C, the data and inputs underlying the financial valuation analyses, if any, 
that purport to support the fairness opinion created by Allen and Company and provided to the board. So three major areas that were focused upon in this lawsuit and others, the process itself in terms of negotiating the merger and how it advantaged certain aspects of management, most prominently Bobby Kotick, exactly how the financial advisors to Activision, Allen and Company, arrived at a determination that this was all above board, that this was fair, and the data that went in to those financial projections. So Bobby Kotick, how Activision decided what it was worth going forward, and then how Allen and Company decided that the Microsoft deal was fair. That's the lawsuit in question. That's the bulk of the shareholder complaints against Activision Blizzard. And it's in that light that you will see why these changes were made. You will also see Activision Blizzard effectively telling Hogue, telling Steven Totellos, telling everyone else that these changes are basically not necessary, but they're trying to get out of this litigatory morass with these shareholders that want more information. And that's all in this paragraph. While the company believes that the disclosures set forth in the proxy statement comply fully with all applicable law and denies the allegations in the complaints demand letters and the 220 complaint, in order to moot plaintiff's disclosure claims, avoid nuisance and possible expense and business delays, and provide additional information to its stockholders, the company has determined to voluntarily supplement certain disclosures in the proxy statement related to plaintiff's claims with the supplemental disclosures set forth below. So this document is all in an effort to effectively say, you can sue us, but you don't have anything to sue us over because we have fixed all the things that you have complained about. As we mentioned in that prior video, this is one of the ways that those kinds of lawsuits get solved. In fact, it's probably the way that they most often get solved. You go and you ask for more information with the language of a lawsuit, and hopefully, if you're on the stockholder side, you get the company to make the changes that Activision is making here. Or perhaps you're unsatisfied with these if you're the stockholders. I can't speak for you and your lawsuit, but the company has tried to add additional information. And then they leave this sentence. Nothing in the supplemental disclosures shall be deemed an admission of the legal merit, necessity, or materiality under applicable laws of any of the disclosures set forth herein. To the contrary, the company specifically denies all allegations that any additional disclosure was or is required or material, which you might actually think sounds a lot like other documents that we have read in this space, most specifically things like the consent decree that Activision has entered into with the EEOC, where you agree to certain things here to more disclosures, but you don't otherwise concede that any of this was even necessary. With respect to the settlement, they don't agree to liability. They don't agree that they did anything wrong. They're just going to allow the EEOC to squat in their offices for three years because. But here, this is a little bit less problematic for them than the EEOC complaints or the DFEH slash state of California complaints. This is just shareholders that want more information and they think this solves that even though they think it's unnecessary. So when you see people responding to this tweet or ask me to comment on this tweet and say, why would the lawyers think this is necessary? You will see that virtually all of the changes that Activision has proposed are designed around three things. They're designed around explaining the process and trying to explain why it's not a conflict of interest exactly how they arrived at their long-range plan, the projections that say Activision is going to be worth less than we thought, and that's why Microsoft's deal is somehow going to be a good thing for stockholders. And then there's additions to the data and inputs that go into the calculations that Allen and company use. Now, we will see 
Some stuff that looks maybe a little bit less than above board from the Allen & Company inputs. Not that there's anything wrong with the way they did it broadly, but that they dragged in extra data that maybe makes the Microsoft offer look better than it would otherwise if you were taking a narrower slice of that data. That's one of the reasons why you don't include it in the document, but it also is suggestive of the fact that maybe Activision Blizzard wasn't playing entirely fair with the stockholders when the proxy statement went out. In other places, like this particular no promises provision that Stephen Totillo flagged, in most respects, I feel that it was already covered in the documents that Activision Blizzard had finally gone out with as their proxy statement. We will see both versions of that. As they point out in terms of reading these things, the new stuff is bold and underlined and stuff that is being eliminated is struck through just like any other red line that you might read. And for the most part, we're going to go through these. I'm going to skip a little bit of the financial stuff, but all are important to understanding what Activision Blizzard thinks is important for stockholders to understand as they vote to approve this merger later this month. So first they add a paragraph to the legal proceedings summary. If you don't remember how this proxy is structured, they've got a number of different categories in summary that talk about the merger. Then they talk about how the merger came to be, what that negotiation looked like. They call that background. That's where the bulk of the changes will appear. And then they have a number of other sections that are a little bit more logistical in nature, how those financial projections work, et cetera. So in the legal proceedings section, they have added the paragraph. Activision Blizzard received a voluntary request for information from the SEC and a grand jury subpoena from the DOJ, both of which appear to relate to their respective investigations into trading by third parties, including persons known to Activision Blizzard's CEO in securities prior to the announcement of the proposed transaction. This is the insider trading complaint that we have talked about in this playlist, that folks purchased Activision stock just before there was a large bump in the value of that stock. More specifically, they purchased options, but we're not gonna get into too specific of a detail here in this video. And they made a lot of money when Microsoft announced we're gonna buy all of that equity for $95 a share when the price of Activision was well below that when those contracts were entered into. And certainly some of the people have connections, either they serve on another board with Bobby Kotick or otherwise friends with him that raised eyebrows for a number of folks. Here, Activision Blizzard is saying, yep, we're turning over information that might relate to that whole thing. Activision Blizzard has informed these authorities that it intends to be fully cooperative with these investigations, which in general is a good idea, certainly. The rest of these changes on this page and into the next page all relate to background. The very first thing they wanna talk about is that they originally said that on December 6, 2021, they handed over their long range plan to Microsoft for evaluation by it and its own advisors at Goldman Sachs. Here and in other places in these changes, they have altered the reference to say they, they discussed discussion materials about the plan, not the plan itself. You don't actually see a reference anymore as amended to them handing over the long range plan itself. Then you get some definitional changes, which aren't really exciting and probably wrong. Generally speaking, you define terms earlier in a document and then have references later. That's been switched now, but that's just legalese and, and lawyers looking at technicalities here. The next change is that they wanted to clarify what I actually think was pretty obvious in the original reading, that when they talked about whether or not their own financial advisor had had some kind of relationship with Microsoft, they found that they had not. They add language here that says which information indicated that Allen & Company, that's Activision's advisor, had not provided investment banking services to Microsoft during such preceding two-year period for which Allen & Company received compensation. You want to be very clear if you're going to have advisors on a deal like this, that there isn't a conflict of interest between the parties. 
I thought that was pretty clear from the sentence as included by context in the original document. They wanted to be very, very clear that when they say we discussed it, we also found that there wasn't a problem. The next one is when we're discussing the background of the merger and Mr. Kotick is giving an update to the board. He included all the companies at issue with potentially buying the company. He didn't just skip company A. That gets added. Then we get a section about derivative suits, which is interesting because those seem like a possibility. A derivative suit in the law is a stockholder bringing a lawsuit on behalf of the company. And this happens when the board of directors controls the company and in general wouldn't decide to use the company's resources to sue itself. So a shareholder has to stand in the company's stead to have standing to sue the board of directors for a breach of fiduciary duty. So here, this paragraph's been added that says representatives of Skadden, that's their law firm, also presented on derivative suits in the context of a merger transaction and taking into consideration the potential value of such claims when considering whether to approve the proposed transaction with Microsoft. So remember, the board of directors is a fiduciary for all the other stockholders, so they can't actually just say we shouldn't take this deal because we might be held liable or bad things might happen to us if it's otherwise in the best interest of the company. So what this paragraph is adding is that the evaluation was from a legal firm that says, hey, there's going to be potential costs. The, the company is going to have to litigate and spend money on lawyers if this goes through, that there's a certain likelihood to that. The Activision Blizzard board of directors then, it is said, discussed the need to consider the potential value to Activision Blizzard of pending derivative litigation claims and noted that even if such litigation claims had material value, the proposed transaction price of $95 per share provided more than adequate value for such litigation claims. Now, I don't actually think that that's terribly clear to a non-lawyer, to a stockholder that's trying to evaluate these things. But long story short, they looked at the possibility, they evaluated the percentage chance there would be a derivative suit, what it would cost the company, how it might lower the value, and still found $95 to be enough to justify whatever that risk might be. The next area that they really, really emphasize is that when they handed over certain portions of this discussion to what they called a committee of directors, and they had just left it at the names, Morgato, Cordy, and Kelly, they now want to make very clear that at least two of those three are independent, that it is a committee comprised of a majority of independent directors. So they add language that says, Mr. Morgato, Activision Blizzard's lead independent director, Mr. Cordy, an independent director, and Mr. Kelly. So they're emphasizing this, remembering, of course, that one of the major complaints that the stockholders have brought against Activision Blizzard is that there was some kind of breach of fiduciary duty because there was a lack of independence between management, the board, and everybody else that was agreeing to this deal on the stockholders' behalf. So they are emphasizing that. They'll emphasize it again in a couple of other places. You see here this early reference that we saw originally from Mr. Totillo's tweet talking about the dividend issue, which was predominantly whether or not Activision would be allowed to give a dividend, to give money to its stockholders in the interregnum period between signing the deal but with Microsoft and actually closing the deal. Right now, Activision, of course, is not sold to Microsoft. They have to get to closing, regulatory approvals, all that sorts of good stuff. And they changed the sentences to emphasize, again, that the committee that approved the dividend, which is going to benefit some of management because they hold stock, was done by this independent committee, Morgato, Cordy, and Kelly, which they call ad hoc. It was formed just to approve this dividend. And that's fine. You see the emphasis that Activision Blizzard is trying to put on these things, including a further emphasis that, as Mr. Totillo found, 
No discussions or negotiations regarding post-closing employment arrangements with Microsoft occurred between Microsoft and Mr. Kotick prior to the approval and execution of the merger agreement and the transactions contemplated thereby or have occurred subsequent to such approval and execution through the date hereof. Mr. Bobby Kotick, whatever you might have heard in the Wall Street Journal, whatever you might have heard kind of colloquially in journalistic outlets has not otherwise negotiated or agreed to something with Microsoft. Now, does that prevent them from having a somewhat inchoate, ethereal, ephemeral understanding between each other? Not really, but this is important for Activision Blizzard to emphasize because they want to kill the notion that Bobby Kotick is getting some kind of sweetheart deal, that this was known and negotiated and a part of the transaction that was the Activision Blizzard acquisition. So they emphasize it here. The one thing I did want to point out as part of this particular document, and I pointed it out to Stephen Totillo as well, is that this actually includes a reference that is already in the proxy statement itself, right? So if we read through this, we see that the proxy statement right now talks about the various ways in which these executives are going to get paid. That Mr. Bobby Kotick has a certain provision in his contract that says if he's fired within 12 months of a change in control, such as Microsoft buying the company, then he's going to get all sorts of good things. He's going to get three times his base salary. He's going to get his bonus. He's going to get another bonus trigger. He's going to get his stock vested as if he were not terminated, etc., etc. All these things that many have reported on as being a little bit unwarranted given the fact that Bobby Kotick is selling the company because of the situation that his management has put it in. That said, it also includes a provision at the end that says, except as otherwise set forth herein, which all exists in the current Activision contracts, as of the date of this proxy statement, none of our executive officers has entered into any agreement with Microsoft regarding employment with or compensation to be received from the surviving corporation or Microsoft on a going forward basis following the closing of the merger. And there have been no discussions of any such arrangements between Microsoft and any of our executive officers, inclusive of Mr. Kotick. So when you're reading through all of this and you ask me, why was this added? The answer really is that they are trying to find every bit of belt and suspenders that they can add to the document that is suggestive of the fact that management didn't corrupt, didn't pollute this transaction process in any way. Hey, the board that approved this, they were independent. No, we didn't agree to anything in advance. We actually already said that, but we will highlight it again when we talk about the signing of the merger document. That's what's happening here. That's why it's stressed. So I don't know that it's the biggest hmm in the world because it is responsive to the stockholders as they admit in their own document, but it is important to follow because they are definitely responding to the complaints against them. In the next sections, we're not going to go over the specifics too much, but you can see that they have added additional details regarding the long-range plan. They're sticking to their guns, saying that we didn't actually exchange the long-range plan. We exchanged discussion materials related to that plan. The plan is presumably a big, long document. Discussion materials might be a PowerPoint presentation, something along those lines. And then you see that they are talking about the plan itself. They've added a few footnotes. Hey, there's other things that are not reportable that don't appear on this table. We've got a little bit more information about what our estimates are on a division by division basis. You can see here broadly that what they are telling these folks or what the board is evaluating is a very flat growth pattern for at least the next couple of years before potential growth in 2023. Again, that E is for estimated, but that in that 
early period where Microsoft might otherwise be purchasing the company, they actually have reductions in operating income uh, of pretty significance at Activision while King continues to grow and grow and grow because that's what King does. Blizzard also pretty flat until 2023 where they double. Presumably that's where they are aiming some of their releases at this point in time. And that's all well and good. Doesn't really change much of anything from my perspective, but certainly more information is better for these shareholders to receive. A little bit more interestingly to me, and I pointed this out when I read through the proxy statement in video form in this playlist, when I first did so, Allen and Company used a series of multiples to create ranges to determine exactly when a Microsoft offer of $95 would be okay, right? So they go through and they try to explain in some regards exactly what they are doing when they are establishing these numbers, right? You see an implied equity rate value using this method of between 84 and 123. They offer 95. We consider that pretty fair, 72 and 99, 95, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I pointed out is that they just throw big numbers at the wall, right? Hey, as a respective earnings of these companies, the ranges are between 8.4 and 19.1 in 2022 and 7.3 and 15.6 in 2023 as estimated. And we've got these other deals that we looked at to come up with a range of potential multiples between 5.6 and 29.9. And I, I think I called this out even when I read it to begin with. I said, well, that's a heck of a range. Right, so when you're looking at this specific math, what Allen and company is trying to say is you take earnings of the company and it's EBITDA, it's, but we're gonna use earnings for purposes of this conversation. And you say, what did another company buy this company at in terms of total price based on 12 months of earnings? And they say, well, one company got bought for only five times their annual earnings and another company got bought for almost 30 times their annual earnings. Then they say, well, we're gonna take off some of the outliers and we're gonna leave you with 14 times to 20 times to get you to this range of between $72 and $99 based on how Activision actually operates. And of course, $95 fits within that range. But as I said originally, well, I would love to know what the individual multiples are for this because you've got a whole host of dates here. It goes from 2022 to 2013. You've got some things that fit within the company that you're selling as Activision Blizzard as a giant publisher, some that don't. What are we actually looking at here? And to their credit, although they're forced, of course, by lawsuit, Activision Blizzard adds some of that information. So you get some multiples uh, from Take-Two, Electronic Arts, and Ubisoft in terms of their overall valuation. More interestingly to me, you actually get the EBITDA multiples from the deals themselves individually for that last analysis. You see here that in January 2022, that Zynga purchase was done at 19.4x. You see that Electronic Arts bought Glue at 27.4, that Electronic Arts bought Codemasters at 29.9. You see 15, 11, 10. You don't see any of this kind of single digit madness earlier or later than June 2016. November 2015 and October 2013 are those dates. That's an eon in tech. In fact, it's so long ago, and they are the outliers clearly in terms of the market changing that I would suggest that they don't belong in this analysis at all. So when they say it goes between 5.6 and 29.9, that provides you with the notion that it's a really big range, and it is. But if you only take, for instance, things happening from 2020 on, the lowest you've got is 15.8. And of course, we don't get to see Microsoft and ZeniMax because ZeniMax doesn't have public financial numbers to share with us all. So with that, as your understanding, when you finally get to, well, we decided on between 14 and 20, and you don't see anything less than 15.8, you're already kind of 
messing with the numbers a little bit. You're making that $95 look a little bit better when in all practicality, this EBITDA multiple is what shareholders are going to be most interested in in determining whether or not the number that Activision is receiving is a legitimate number, $95 per share. At that 14 to 20, they come up with 72 to 99 with 95 pretty close to the high end. But if 14 isn't reasonable, if 15.8 is reasonable and this number maybe comes up because 5.6 and 6.3, et cetera, shouldn't be in this calculation at all, this starts to look less and less reasonable. So Activision is disclosing this information now. It'll be a question of time to see whether stockholders wind up suing over that particular calculation. But certainly this information is useful and it makes Allen and Company's analysis look a little bit less useful than it might have without this additional data. So I don't blame stockholders for asking for this. And I think it exposes something in the Activision Blizzard calculations when you see it projected this way. Now, obviously, there's reasons that $95 are fair. There's reasons that $95 can be fine. And Activision Blizzard was going through all sorts of trouble, has all sorts of litigation issues, has to disclose them all over the place. And so you can have a reasoned discourse that says $95 is fine, but this does change some of the color with which you perceive what Allen and Company and what Activision have disclosed in their proxy statement. The other thing you see throughout these uh, bits of changes is that they have added that it's Allen and Company's professional judgment uh, in a number of places that Allen and Company is using its professional judgment to arrive at these things so that Activision Blizzard isn't just out in the cold doing it for themselves. The last thing that Activision Blizzard adds to this document, which I know a number of you will find interesting since we just covered it as part of this playlist, is that they added to the Hart Scott Rodino and other antitrust matters section the following. It is Activision Blizzard's understanding from public information that four United States senators sent a letter to the FTC expressing concern about the proposed transaction and its impact on workplace issues and requested that the FTC oppose the deal if it determines that it could worsen the negotiating position of employees, which is a totally apt summary of that letter that we reviewed here in virtual legality. But at the end of the day, Activision has added references to the senator's issues, added references to the various lawsuits before it. They've added additional language that maybe doesn't look so good for the company. And I think the stockholders should view this largely as a success. The open question, of course, being does the fact that the committee is comprised of a majority of independent directors, at least as described by Activision, assuage your fears about the process here? Does the numbers that they share from Allen and Company and the analysis that was done, does that change how you view the $95? We already are hearing from certain shareholders at Activision Blizzard that maybe they should reject the deal because $95 is too low. Certainly, I've pointed out as part of this discussion that $95 is certainly buying on the dip. It doesn't even reach the market value of the company in that very same calendar year when the deal was originally offered. So there's a whole lot going on here. And yet... This in and of itself probably doesn't move the needle too far, except to note that Activision might be able to kill some of that shareholder litigation that was otherwise accusing them of hiding facts and or lying. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy this type of content, law and business discussions of video games, technology, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon. Or if you're not comfortable with that platform, not familiar with that platform, please do check out Patreon, a little bit more long-lived as well. Otherwise, if you just subscribe, tell your friends, upvote, downvote, ring bells, engage with the content. Every little bit helps. Every little bit helps YouTube notice that we're having these conversations here, conversations that I think are pretty useful, hopefully entertaining as well. 
Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.